0: Again, the URL is unchangedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto over six years ago and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. The Crypto.com app pays you up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin. Get $25 when you download the Crypto.com app with code Laura. The link is in the description. Near is an open source platform that accelerates the development of decentralized applications, overcoming high fees and slow speeds with its fast, scalable, low cost and climate neutral blockchain protocol. Learn more at near.org. Tezos is smart money that's redefining what it means to hold and exchange value in a digitally connected world. Discover how people are reimagining the world around you on Tezos. Today's guest is Reshma Patel, candidate for New York City controller. Welcome, Reshma.
1: Hi, Laura. It's great to be here with you. Thank you for inviting me.
0: You're running to become the Democratic candidate for New York City controller. Crypto people may be familiar with controllers after Brian Brooks's tenure as a U.S. controller of the currency at the federal level last year. But what does the New York City Comptroller do?
1: Yeah, so the New York City Comptroller is uh, like the chief financial officer of New York City and also the chief auditor of New York City. The $250 billion pension fund, which is the fourth largest in the country, is managed by the New York City Comptroller. Um, the city's $118 billion dollar, dollar capital program is done through the Comptroller's office. And then the city has 55 agencies and the comptroller has oversight over them, and audits each agency every four years. And the role of the Comptroller really is to hold the city accountable and serve as a check to the other areas of our city government, which is the mayor and the city council, and all contracting and all arbitration goes to the Comptroller's office. And
0: you've proposed what you call a future-proof plan that centers around investments in blockchain businesses and crypto assets for the city. Why don't you tell us about that plan?
1: So, you know, I think New York City, as we come out of this pandemic and the economic fallout from it, really needs to be thinking ahead and what ways that we can bring uh, new technologies to New York City and um, how we in city government can use it. And I really believe that blockchain is a tool that can really help city government in terms of transparency and accountability. And I also think it can help diversify the city's pension fund as we think about long term, you know, hedge against inflation, how we prepare if there's a turn in the public markets and the S&P goes down. I think investing in um, crypto uh, would be a really wise thing. And I also think that we need to have more favorable conditions so that we get blockchain companies to come and start business in New York City as we rethink what this new economy looks like.
0: And so for part of that plan or proposal, you want to allocate 1% to 3% of the city's pension funds to crypto. Are there any special approvals that the city controller would need to do that or just in general, what would that process entail?
1: Yeah, so the controller is the custodian of the pension funds, but they are trustees and the city has five different pension funds in the pension system. So we would need to get approval from the trustees to move forward on that plan. And there would be an investment committee that would be looking at the plan and making the best recommendations. You know, how do you invest which, uh, you know, currencies, you know, I've proposed Bitcoin and Ethereum, but, you know, would be looking at all options and looking at what's the best way to move forward and how much you invest.
0: And do you have a sense from speaking to some of those trustees, just how many are open to this idea?
1: So I have had general conversations, people, you know, since I'm running for the office, I'm not the controller. I can't, uh, you know, go and meet with the trustees and stuff. So this is a plan that would need to be uh, put forth once I was elected. And then they would really seriously have to take a look at it and uh, move forward on it.
0: And so I know you're saying that, you know, they would kind of study how to go about doing this, but what investment vehicles have you been thinking might be appropriate? Are you thinking that the city would directly invest in the assets themselves or into crypto VC funds or into, you know, certain investment vehicles similar to GBTC or some of these other new ETFs that are out there? Um, you know, what What do you think would make the most sense?
1: So I was looking at both um, investing directly into the currencies as well as ETFs. And with the idea that, you know, you want to have a diversified portfolio and have exposure to different things. And I thought that it made sense to look at both of those. And also on the VC side, too, because, uh, you know, one of the pension funds in the U.S. who has already done that in Virginia, there's two pension funds who've invested in blockchain VCs, and they actually have upped their investment this year uh, because it's been going so well.
0: And would you also look at investing in the stocks of some of these companies that have put Bitcoin on their balance sheets, such as Tesla or MicroStrategy or some of the others? Um, Yes. And then in terms of managing those investments, how frequently would those be rebalanced?
1: The city's um, investment, you know, the chief investment officer, the controller are looking at this on an ongoing basis and really looking at, you know, what market trends are, um, how we you know, because it's about risk management. This is a long-term investment, and so you are looking at rebalancing. Um, I would be looking at it all the time. You know, and you'd have quarterly updates.
0: Okay. And so, how did you become interested in crypto and blockchain technology and decide to incorporate it into your platform?
1: So, my background is in finance. Um, it's have been in public finance. You know, which is uh, different uh, than you know uh, blockchain uh, technology. But I, you know, I had worked in various banks for. Uh, Almost two decades and had experience in that. And I had my clients were always state and local government. So that's how I got interested in how we make our city governments work better and this role of controller. And I had worked as a financial advisor to control's office. I so really got to know the nuts and bolts of the office and what kind of things that I feel like we need to fix in that office. And so that's what brought me to thinking about okay, what are the problems that we have? What are the ways we need to think about this? And then that's been amplified as a result of everything that's happened in the past year. Because New York had been doing well for you know most of the time that I've been working with the city, and technology. I went to MIT. I've always been interested in technology, and um, since 2015, been going to events where people are talking about blockchain, how it can be used in the procurement process, following you know uh, the crypto space. And so I thought that this should be an important thing that our city government should be looking at, and frankly, governments all around the country and around the world.
0: And so you mentioned the procurement process part of that proposal that you put forward is to use blockchain technology in that and that system is um, the way that the city uh, awards and pays out government contracts for city projects. So what is the problem with that existing system that you think blockchain technology can solve?
1: Sure, so one of the main ways that the city interacts with constituents is through this contracting process because they outsource a lot of human services through nonprofits and then they have contracts with Uh, small businesses, large businesses for supplies and other things, um, other work, construction work. You know, there's all kinds of things that we contract out. There's almost 20,000 contracts annually with the city. And one of the problems, I've been board chair of a community development corporation that does provide a lot of these human services. And one of the pain points has been that the city will contract with you and the contracts take almost a year. Sometimes we've had three years waiting time before we get paid, which makes it really hard because you're providing these services, but you haven't gotten paid. And it makes it harder for small nonprofits. Those that are serving communities that aren't that large, um, like a lot of ethnic communities and stuff, those nonprofits have a really hard time managing their budgets, hiring staff because of this. And similarly, if you're a small business, if you're a woman-owned business that doesn't have as much capital, minority-owned business, it's harder for you to access some of these contracts if there's that much delay. And so that's the pain point that I felt. And I've seen that across nonprofits and small businesses and wanted to solve. And fundamentally, it's a matter of trust as well right? In building this trust between constituents and the city. And I thought putting this on blockchain, because what happens is the comptroller's office, the mayor's office of contracts, the different agencies that are contracting these services are all working on these contracts together. And the comptroller's office is required to approve it in 30 days, but no one else is, right? And if we had a much more transparent process where everyone could see where the movement is happening, including the person who's actually contracting with the city, it would make it much easier. It would also save a lot of time and it'd be much more efficient. And we could also see where the money's going too, right? Because you'd be able to track that and it would, right now everyone is keeping their own records and blockchain would allow there to be one record that can't be changed that everyone can trust and work together.
0: So in a moment, we're gonna dive more into this proposal to use blockchain technology for the city's procurement system. But first a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. With over 10 million users, Crypto.com is the easiest place to buy and sell over 90 cryptocurrencies. Grow your crypto with Crypto.com Earn, which pays up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin and 14% interest on your stablecoins. When it's time to spend your crypto, nothing beats the Crypto.com Visa card, which pays you up to 8% back instantly and gives you 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 by using the code LAURA. The link is in the description. Did you know nearly $338 million worth of NFTs were sent last year? And in 2021, that number is growing faster than ever. If you're looking to make your first NFT, check out NIR's fast, scalable, low-cost, open-source platform. NIR is investing 80 million NIR tokens in community-led projects Over the course of five years, to power sustainable innovation through its ecosystem, with fundraising opportunities and support for DAOs and DApps to engage fans and reach new audiences. Come learn why NEAR is the infrastructure for innovation at nea.org. Back to my conversation with Reshma Patel. So I was just shocked when you mentioned that sometimes it takes three years for some of these contractors to get paid. Um, Hopefully that's with interest (laughs) because um, that's just really crazy. Uh, Why does it take that long?
1: So three years has been the extreme of one of the contracts that a nonprofit that I was involved in had, you know, but I would say on average, it has been at least uh, six months. Uh, It used to be even a year. They've improved the process slightly in some cases, right? And that happens because there are so many different areas of the city government that has to look at these contracts. And it just takes a long time to get it approved. And having not been at each of the agencies, I don't know why certain agencies take longer than others because it's not consistent across the 55 agencies. Some are quicker, some are slower. It is one of those things where it seems to be a black box. The city has created something called passport NYC, which has a database where you can try to track this, but it isn't accessible uh, to all participants. And, you know, the idea with this blockchain proposal is that everyone would be able to go and access the information and know where in the process the contract is.
0: And I'm assuming this would be a private blockchain, or are you thinking of putting it on a public blockchain like Ethereum?
1: No, I was saying public blockchain like Ethereum.
0: Oh, okay. Using, I guess, I'm sure there would be some kind of privacy for the city. Yeah. Okay. And do you have? Are there any particular? <laughs> Would it be like a decentralized app, or would it be a? um, Yeah, I'm not sure really what that looks like.
1: Yeah, so it would it would be on a public blockchain, but it would have security measures because you want to keep certain information secure. Uh, But the idea would be that there'd be the transparency in where the contracts are in the process, and you know each individual involved, like the agency, the mayor's office, the controls office, already um, has. Knowledge of who the parties are involved, and each of those parties involved would be able to look at the ledger, see where things are along the way.
0: Okay, and uh, yeah, have you discussed this with any particular companies who you know have talked about implementing this kind of thing?
1: I've talked to um, other experts in the field about this, you know, but no one who was actually implemented for a city government or any government, because I don't know anyone who's done it procurement for a government agency.
0: Okay, and and so, but this would be something that would be directly in the controller's Scope of of work. Okay, yes,
1: yes, because all the contracting is gone through the comptroller's office.
0: Okay, so something I know that is a little bit outside. In fact, mm-hmm. I think just plain outside the controller's direct mm-hmm. scope is um, this New York Bit License, which I know comes up a yes. lot when New York politicians are discussing crypto. And as I'm sure you're well aware, many crypto businesses feel that the New York Bit License is unfriendly to innovation. Do you think there's any way for the controller to bring weight to bear on influencing that regulation in some fashion? And if so, how would you like to see that changed?
1: Sure. And as you correctly point out, you know it's the New York State Department of Financial Services that regulates uh, the bit license, but the control of New York City, it, especially given that a lot of the you know blockchain businesses would be centered in New York City, really push uh, the state to move on that. And, you know, it has been onerous for a lot of people, you know, it costs upwards of $100,000 or more to get a bit license. So it's been limited to no more than like 20 firms have been able to access it. And a lot of lawyers end up making a lot of money off of it. And a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, can't innovate as a result. And the idea is that we want these businesses to stay in New York and not be going to other places. And I would strongly advocate for it. And the state did last summer Uh, You know, start something called like a provisional bit license, as you probably know, right, where someone can uh, work with an existing bit license company and be able to work in New York state. And so I think that they are moving in that direction. um, But, you know, there's more work that needs to be done.
0: So um, as you just mentioned, there, you know, there are a lot of cities around the country that are kind of vying to become the crypto capital of the U.S., if not the world Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's important for a city like New York to be welcoming to the crypto industry? And how would you plan to compete with other cities like Miami that are also aiming for that title?
1: So, you know, New York has always been the center of financial services, right? And blockchain is financial technology. And I think that we can't lose our ground if this is going to be the industry of the future, right? And financial services declines, and then financial technology and blockchain is going to be the way the future goes. So I think we need to hold our center of financial services by investing in blockchain and being welcoming to blockchain companies. And if you think about, you know, in the sometime in the earlier mid-90s, right, you know, Silicon Valley really invested in technology in a way that New York didn't, right? And then about 15 years later, we were trying to attract them to New York City through Silicon Alley, right? And then we have now in the last 15 years been like really pushing to try to get the technology firms to come to New York City, right? So we don't want to be behind. We want to be on the forefront, and we don't want it to be, you know, as you know, Miami has really been um, uh, blockchain friendly and, you know, uh, adopted all of, uh, the policies that Wyoming has. And um, we don't want we already seen. I mean, I feel like this past year, a lot of New Yorkers moving to Miami and we would rather have them stay here and build businesses here.
0: So New York is at a pivotal moment in its history, as you mentioned. Yeah. It's coming out of the worst pandemic that we've seen in the last century. And it's really a pandemic that's hit dense cities like New York that rely on public transportation, especially hard. What role do you think crypto could play in that recovery?
1: So I think one, as you, as I said, you know, having the companies come to New York City, because we're going to have to re-envision our economy. There's going to be a lot of firms that still allow people to work remotely. And we're going to have to think about what new companies that would want to come and be in New York City, because the foot traffic that we get from people coming in and working is what supports all our restaurants and cafes and a lot of other uh, things in New York City. And um, I also think that technology behind crypto and blockchain can be useful in so many things. Like I talked about the procurement process, but we could be looking at it even in helping fix how the MTA works, you know, which is a state agency, not a city agency, but if we're going to think about transportation, uh, all kinds of different types of things that I think that there's future potential for blockchain technology to help improve.
0: And can you elaborate on that? How would you, how would the MTA use blockchain technology to solve whatever problems you think it has?
1: So, I mean, I, mean I, I think the problems, you know, in terms of managing, there's huge projects, right, that the MTA, all these capital projects that they undertake. And a lot of times, again, it goes back to transparency and trust with the projects, right, the, any MTA project that happens, there's usually people who think that the costs are too high, there's always time delays, and how we can use blockchain to make the whole process efficient, if we're going to have this happen, all the contracting, all, all, you know, do smart contracts where people get paid when they hit certain milestones, and I think things like that will just hold people much more accountable. Mm.
0: So the primary is June 22nd. Mm-hmm. What is on the docket for you and your campaign between now and then?
1: Well, um, you know, it's lots of campaigning is outside meeting people, finally, because we have been in <laughs> pandemic. So it's been all Zoom <laughs> meetings. And um, there's also always, you know, American democracy is expensive. And if it was a startup, that was some you know people would be shocked by how much it costs to acquire a customer <laughs> when you're uh, you know a, a acquiring a voter. And so you know I'm fundraising all the time as well. You know so it's out meeting voters, getting the word out, and it is out pushing ideas, and it's out fundraising. And um, my website is uh, raishma2021.com. And you know people have um, any suggestions on things that should be looking at, um, want to know more, uh, please visit.
0: And actually, one thing that I should have checked on your website before, um, but neglected to do is, are you accepting crypto donations? Because I know in past years, there have been other candidates for office who've made headlines by doing so.
1: Yes, and I am not. And the reason I'm not is because New York City has very strict campaign finance laws. So it's not allowable, but it is something that I looked at in the beginning. And there are candidates who run for state office or there's a DA candidate right now running, which is not a city office, is considered a state office that is accepting crypto.
0: Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. OK. And, and and just out of curiosity, I'm sure it's not like a specific ban on fundraising and crypto. It, like, Can you say what it is?
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, New York City's campaign finance board is perhaps one of the uh, most... Uh, Diligent campaign finance boards, they really take a look at donations and they really regulate how donations are made. For instance, you know, uh, the limits are up to $2000 it's all and you can't take money from corporations and PACs. You have to take it from individuals and they also match in donations from residents of New York City eight times. So any donation between $10 and $250 would get matched eight times by the New York City Campaign Finance Board and the reason why they do that is to make it possible for Many more candidates and people who don't come from a lot of money and a lot of resources to be able to run for office. Hmm. Um, but because they do take that step in kind of democratizing the financing of campaigns, they also make it very s- strict, you, you know, p- rules about how you fundraise. Oh, interesting, and who you take money from. Okay,
0: yeah. okay, yeah. yeah. Um, I, you know, I have to admit, I kind of like that. Uh, in in a city where it feels like mm-hmm. the money reigns um, supreme all the time. <laughs> well, not all the time, but you know, much of the time. Um
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's it, no it's a model it's a model in, in campaign finance around the country because on a national level there's about 132 people who control our democracy in the United States because they're the people who give 60% of super PAC donations. Oh. oh.
0: I thought you meant the right? politicians yep. and yeah. but you mean the donors. That's fascinating.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow.
0: yeah. Okay. Well yeah, that's quite a statistic. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed. This has been really interesting. All right. Well, thank you. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Tezos lets you easily exchange smart money throughout our digital world. A self-upgradable blockchain with a proven track record, Tezos seamlessly adopts tomorrow's innovations without network disruptions today. Because of this adaptability, engineers, conservationists, entrepreneurs, collectors, game developers, and artists from around the world are building, creating, and using Tezos every day. Discover how people are reimagining the world around you on Tezos. Thanks for tuning in to this week's News Recap. First headline, Bitcoin in your bank account? Fintech firm FIS is partnering with digital asset manager NYDIG To bring about an industry first, customers at hundreds of U.S. banks will be able to purchase, HODL, or sell Bitcoin directly within their bank account without having to go through an exchange, such as Coinbase, or a payment application like PayPal. NIDIG will handle custody and security. The program has already enrolled hundreds of smaller institutions. As reported by CNBC, NIDIG is in discussions with several of the larger banks in the U.S. about bringing them into the program. Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs have already announced that they will offer Bitcoin funds to their high net worth clients, with J.P. Morgan repeatedly mulling a similar product. Perhaps the decision of smaller banks to try and front-run Bitcoin adoption for the everyday customer will pressure the larger institutions to follow suit for their retail customers. With such a plethora of ways to gain exposure to BTC, it is no wonder that Grayscale's Bitcoin Trust seems to be struggling. Grayscale's parent company, Digital Currency Group, authorized the purchase of up to $750 million in GBTC shares this week, upping its authorization by $500 million. GBTC has been trading at a discount for three months, meaning the market price of its shares is trading under its net asset value. Next headline. In an effort to bring more privacy to Bitcoin, its taproot activation period begins. Regarding Bitcoin, the asset all this fuss is about, Bitcoin's taproot update has begun its three-month activation period. At Bitcoin DLC put it rather succinctly on Twitter, writing Taproot is a soft fork of Bitcoin that improves Bitcoin's scripts, which will eventually increase privacy and help scalability, whilst also enabling more complex transactions. Miners who wish to adopt the update can signal support by adding a signal bit in blocks they mine. Bitcoin Magazine reports that nearly half of the network hash rate is currently supporting the update. If 90% of blocks mined during the next three months include the signal bit, the upgrade will be confirmed for November 2021. If all that major eyes glaze over, just hold into this nugget. A benefit of Taproot is that mixing coins and disguising transactions will be easier, potentially making the life of the blockchain analytics companies who specialize in tracing fraudulent transactions much harder. Next headline. Ether streaks past 3K. Ether hit another all-time high on Wednesday. The token reached $3,550 in the late afternoon, extending a rally that is over 350% in gains just this year. Decrypt reports that Vitalik Buterin, the 27-year-old co-founder of Ethereum, owns an ETH wallet worth more than $1 billion. Buterin initially disclosed his personal ETH address in 2018 on Twitter, and the address has been watched closely ever since. The wallet currently contains a whopping 333,521 ether cementing Vitalik's place as a HODLer. Perhaps lifted by Ethereum exuberance, Ethereum Classic's native token ETC has skyrocketed in price as well, hitting a record high of about $150 on Wednesday. ETC is a, brand, is a child of the 2016 DAO hard fork and has been hacked three times since then most likely due to the lower computational power backing the network compared to stalwarts like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Next headline. DeFi's unicorn is live. In a blog post Wednesday morning, Uniswap, the largest decentralized exchange by trading volume, officially announced the launch of its version 3. Unveiled in March, V3 is expected to give users more control over the liquidity they provide, along with better execution for traders. So far, the market seems to be giving the new update two thumbs up. In the first 24 hours since V3 went live, Uniswap accounted for 44% of all decentralized exchange volume on Ethereum. Uniswap V2 will remain functional as long as Ethereum exists. However, the Uniswap team expects much of the trading to migrate to V3 at some point. Next headline. Who let the Doge out? Dogecoin hit 69 cents on Tuesday. Yes, that really happened. (laughs) The meme coin, apparently, is here to stay. Both eToro and Gemini announced the launch of Doge trading on their platforms. Galaxy Digital released a 22-page report on the token titled Dogecoin, the world's most honest shitcoin, that cites a genuine origin story, longevity, and a growing community as strong fundamentals supporting its rise. Dogecoin's market cap is currently the fourth largest in crypto, sitting at around $80 billion. That being said, Alex Gladstein, Chief Strategy Officer of the Human Rights Foundation, made a few salient points about Dogecoin that I found particularly noteworthy for investors. Quote Dogecoin is infinite. The system is on track to mint 14.4 million new Doge each day and 5.2 billion more Doge each year forever. Dogecoin is not decentralized. Nodes are hard to run, and there are at most a few hundred unique economic actors running them, and probably way fewer. Dogecoin has had several insane pumps like this before, only to later fall in value by 90%. Next headline. Bitso, Coinmetrics, and Showtime announce funding rounds. Three fundraises caught my eye this week. The Mexico-based crypto exchange, Bitso, wrapped up a $250 million funding round valuing the company at $2.2 billion making it the first crypto unicorn in Latin America to date. Tiger Global and KOTU led the round. Coinmetrics, a cryptocurrency analytics firm and home to some of my favorite content, has raised $15 million, led by Goldman Sachs. NFT social network Showtime raised $7.6 million in funding from crypto investment firm Paradigm and dj 3 Lao, or Blau. Showtime is headed by Alex Mazmich, who previously tokenized himself last April allowing Alex token holders to dictate his exercise and diet schedule. Next headline, crypto's first billion-dollar deal. Mike Novogratz's Galaxy Digital is set to acquire BICO, a digital asset infrastructure provider, for $1.2 billion in cash and stock. The acquisition, announced Wednesday, will be the crypto industry's first $1 billion deal. The BICO purchase could put Galaxy Digital in a strong position to serve institutions seeking access to crypto. Bitco has a strong resume itself. The company currently has $40 billion in assets under custody, serves over 150 exchanges and over 400 institutional customers, and processes 30 billion transactions monthly. Time for what we're calling Quick Bits. PayPal is exploring the launch of a stablecoin. The block reports the payment giant has spoken to at least one stablecoin protocol development firm, Avalabs. In an interview on CNBC's Squawk Box, eBay CEO Jamie Iannone hinted that the digital marketplace might accept crypto as payment in the future. He also teased the addition of an NFT platform. Charlie Munger, the 97-year-old vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, made clear his distaste for Bitcoin during Berkshire's annual meeting, saying, I think the whole damn development is disgusting and contrary to the interests of civilization. It was a big week for crypto funds. A16Z is looking to build out a $1 billion crypto fund, its third, which could ultimately be double its last fund at $515 million. Multicoin Capital is launching a $100 million fund to invest in DeFi, NFTs, and Web3 applications, focusing on the Solana blockchain a federal court in California is authorizing the IRS to obtain the identities of any user who has traded $20,000 on cryptocurrency exchange Kraken, which disclosure is a former sponsor of my show. The DOJ is not alleging Kraken has engaged in any illegal activity. Instead, the IRS is focused on finding would-be tax dodgers. Coinbase's stock dropped considerably on Thursday, hitting $251 around midday. Coin is down 12% this week perhaps struggling because of BTC, the crypto bellwether, which has stagnated in the mid-50k range while the rest of the market has thrived. Time for fun bits! Doge sitting pays. If you had invested all three of your stimulus checks into Doge over the past year, you would now be sitting on top of $425,000 in fake internet dog money. With $425,000 in Doge, you could trade that in for 7.45 BTC, 121 ETH, 26 season tickets to watch the Dallas Mavericks from the floor, or one Lamborghini Aventador. For context on how well Doge has performed, Bitcoin is up 93% year-to-date, while ETH is up 350%. Dogecoin's return is above 13,000% this year alone. Oh, and by the way, Elon Musk, the Doge father, will be hosting Saturday Night Live this week meaning that Dogecoin will most likely find a place in next week's news recap. Second fun bits. Maybe crypto isn't so fun. On this week's Unchained, the pod ended with Annabelle Huang, partner at Amber Group, giving advice for women thinking about going into crypto, saying, For the women out there who are thinking about this, it's not as crazy as you think. That's why I had to laugh at a recent thread posted by John Siu, marketing director at Brightloom, that certainly pumps the brakes on romanticizing the crypto lifestyle and give some insight on what actually goes on behind the scenes. I recommend the whole thread, but I'll end the show with my favorite lamentation regarding poor sleep cycles for crypto founders. John writes, Crypto never sleeps. And guess what? That also means that you never sleep. Half your audience is in the West, the other half is in the East. Singapore time is almost entirely during sleeping hours in the US. Have fun with that. Perhaps going all in on crypto might be as crazy as John depicts, but as I can attest, leaping into crypto is totally worth it. Alright, thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Reshma and our campaign for New York City Comptroller, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. Follow Unchained on Twitter at unchained underscore pod, where you can find all sorts of content ranging from my weekly newsletter to updates on my upcoming book and a whole lot more. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Mark Murdoch, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.